this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. You're using one of the Bibles in the pew rack. That would be page 8 in the pew Bible. And we are, if you're new today, in a series, six-week series, that we're calling Anticipation. And it's a study of Genesis. And in these weeks, as we are looking forward to Christmas, it's a time of anticipation. And, And we're talking about how Christ was anticipated through the lives of six individuals in the first book of the Bible, the book of of Genesis. And so today, we're going to look at how Christ was anticipated through Abraham's story. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at at Adam, last week Noah, and today we're going to to be looking at Abraham's story, and, and we're going to see very, very clearly how the good news of Christ was anticipated through the life of Abraham. We're going to actually look at parts of three chapters. So usually I read the text uh, before we pray, but we're going to be reading lots of different texts as we go through. But let's begin with prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. And Father, we pray that you would prepare our, our hearts for the Lord's Supper later in the service, which just portrays the gospel so clearly. And Father, as we've seen for the past couple of weeks, the gospel is so clear in the first book of the Bible. We're seeing how the lives of these people in Genesis really point to Jesus. How Christ and the good news of Christ is just so clearly anticipated through their lives. Lord, help us to see that this morning through the life of your servant Abraham. And Father, as Jesus is lifted up, we pray that you would draw us closer to you by the power of your Spirit. And so we've all come into the service with different needs in our lives or maybe different burdens, different, um, different challenges in our lives. And Lord, you know what each one is, and we pray that you would meet with each one of us today in your power and in your love. We want to encounter you. We need you, and these are crucial moments. Lord, help us not to be distracted by anything. Help us to be locked in on you, that we might meet you this morning through your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I first saw the, the Lord of the Rings films, um, I was making all kinds of, of connections between what I, the, the films and, and what I had seen in, in, the, in the Bible. Because J.R.R. Tolkien, the author of Lord of the Rings, was a, was a Christian. And so... If you read the Bible first, and then you read the books, or you watch the, the movies, the connections are, are, are pretty obvious. Just the way that C.S. Lewis does in the Chronicles of Narnia, Tolkien is, 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 is really taking a story 
And, and, he, and he's using that to, to bring out some of the, the greatest stories of Scripture and really the central story of Scripture, which is the, the Gospel. Uh, in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, what, what we see is that um, a, a very unlikely person, a hobbit, is, uh, is, is chosen to go on this journey and it's a journey that's going to result in redemption. And this, this hobbit is just, he's just doing life in his, in his hometown, in the, in the Shire. He has no clue that this is going to happen. But, but he's, one day he's chosen to go on this journey. And this journey is going to result in, in the redemption of the world and the world being released from the grip of, of evil and darkness that, it, that it's under. Well, we see all of that in Abraham's story. In fact, we see much more than that in the story of Abraham. So, what do we see in Abraham's story and how do we see Jesus in his story? The first thing that we see in Abraham's life is the call. And we see that in chapter 12 and beginning in verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, at that time he was called Abram, which means exalted Father, later his name, was going to be changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. And we'll see, we'll see why later on. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God comes to him and he says, Go from your country. Leave the country where you, where you are presently. So what country was that? It was ancient Mesopotamia which is now modern-day Iraq. That's where Abraham was, was born and raised. In fact, specifically, Abraham was, was born and raised in the city of Ur, which was 186 miles from modern-day Baghdad. It's on the Euphrates River. And so that was Abraham's home. And God comes to him and he says, I want you to, 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 to leave here. During the 1920s and 30s, a man named Sir Leonard Woolley led a, 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 a massive excavation of the ancient city of Ur. And it became a worldwide sensation. Uh, newspapers across the world, in fact, pilgrims from across the world uh, came to, to see the, these amazing excavations that were taking place in Ur, in Abraham's hometown. One of them was the mystery writer Agatha Christie. Who, who fell in love with Sir Leonard Woolley's assistant, married him, and, and set her 1936 mystery, Murder in Mesopotamia, at the site of one of these, uh, these excavations in, in Iraq. But what Sir Leonard discovered in, in these excavations was a city that was incredibly wealthy. It was incredibly sophisticated for it, it, its time. Ancient Ur had uh, amazing architecture, palaces, uh, temples, walls, grand harbors uh, there on the, the Euphrates. It, it was a very wealthy, very, very sophisticated place that Abraham was growing up in. But it was also a very pagan city. It was full of idols. The people worshipped idols. In fact, the the, the main architectural feature above all others in ancient Ur was a ziggurat, and at the top of the ziggurat was a temple to, to, to Nana, the, the, the moon god. Um, so this was a pagan place. Willie also discovered 
the great death pit in which the, the queen, queen, queen Punia, was, was buried like a mummy. She was incredibly, uh, her clothes were just laden with, 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 with gold. It was incredibly elaborate. But as she, the queen was buried there, she was buried with 73 of her servants who either committed suicide or were sacrificed so that they could accompany the queen into the afterlife and serve her in the afterlife. This was a, a pagan place. And Joshua 24 makes it clear that Abraham's family was a family of, of idol worshipers. So why did God choose to appear to Abraham? You know, it was, it was just God's sovereign call. Um, and, he, and he appears to him, and, and what does he say? He tells him to go. He says, leave. In fact, he tells him three different things here, sort of in ascending order, just to show how the, the, the difficulty of this call. He tells Abram, he says, I want you to go from your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your extended family, your kindred. And then I want you to leave your immediate family. I want you to take your wife and your kids and you're going to leave your, um, your, your, your parents' house and you are going to go. And he doesn't even tell him where he's going to go at that point. He says, I'm, I'm going to show you where you're to go. But at first he just says, I want you to go. In the film, the, the Book of Eli, Denzel Washington plays a, a, a man, Eli, who is living in a world that, in the aftermath of a nuclear holocaust. And it's a, it's a world that has been decimated by, by war, a world filled with violence and depravity. We've seen a lot of this already in, in Genesis, since Genesis 3. When sin entered the world things began to degenerate very, very quickly. Things became very violent and, and depraved and, and, and perverse. And in the book of Eli, this is the way the world has become. And Eli, played by Denzel Washington, possesses the last copy of the Bible. And, and God tells him, I want you to take my word and I want you to, to walk. And he just... And, and he just tells him, God tells him, just walk, go west. Doesn't tell him exactly where he's going. Just go from where you are. And I'm going to take my word and I'm going to use it to begin to do something beautiful and rebuild the earth from the devastation and the depravity and the violence that it is suffering from. Uh, again, this is a theme that is drawn from Scripture and we see this in the life of of Abraham, because that's what happens. God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to leave where you are. You're going to go on a journey and, 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 and through you, I'm going to begin to do a work of redemption in the world. As Tolkien says in Lord of the Rings, everything sad is going to come untrue. And so through Abraham, God says, I'm going to take this broken, messed up world and I'm going to begin to put it back together again. Now, how's he going to do that? He's going to do that by bringing forth a special people from 
Abraham. And we, we see this um, in verse 2. God says to him, I will make of you a great nation. That would be the Jewish people. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. When God blesses us, He always blesses us to be a blessing. When God blesses us, it's not meant for His blessings to terminate on us. We're not meant to be, our lives are not meant to be cul-de-sacs. They're meant to be channels of God's blessings. And so we're blessed to be a blessing, just like Abraham. And God's blessing of Abraham is accompanied by a promise, which we see in Genesis 12:3. God says to him, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what does God say to Abraham? He says, I'm going to bring forth from you a people, it's the Jewish people, and through that people, all the peoples of the earth are going to be blessed. So how is that going to, to happen? Because we see later on, as you work through the Old Testament, you see that Israel, that the Jewish people turned away from God. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. God was going to bless the world through them. But what happens when they turn away from God? Does God give up on His plan? Oh, no. No. Because through the Jewish people, God is going to bring forth the Rescuer, the Redeemer, the Savior. Yeshua, Jesus, is a descendant of of Abraham, 100% man, but also 100% God, who is going to take our sins upon himself, pay the penalty for them, and rise from the dead. And so this, this promise that God makes, that, that all the families on the earth are going to be blessed, is going to happen through the Messiah, through Jesus. Now when God says here to Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you, through your descendant. It means every people group on earth. It means not just people in every country in the world. It means every people group within every country. Every, every uh, socio-ethnic grouping of people, every tribe, every, every tongue, every language is going to be blessed through the Messiah and the last book of the Bible gives us a picture of what that's going to be like. Revelation 7, John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's our future as believers. That's our future. We're going to be a part of that. And, and, and people from every people group on earth are going to be a part of it. And we get to be a part of bringing that to fruition as we carry out the great commission that Jesus has given us. What did Jesus say to us? What are His marching orders to us? In, in Matthew 28, before Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells us what we're to, to do. 
He says, go and make disciples of all nations. That phrase, of all nations, means, again, every people group on earth. We get to be a part of, 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 bringing, of joining with God in his mission and bringing this grand scene in Revelation to fruition. But, at this point in the story, in Genesis 12, there's a problem. Because God says, all of this, Abraham, is going to happen through your descendants. Well, guess what? At this point in the story, Abraham and his wife Sarah are unable to have a child. Sarah can't get pregnant. And that brings us to the next part of the story. The child. Chapter 15 and verses 1 through 5. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. (laughs) This is amazing because... Now here are Abraham and Sarah, you know, unable to conceive, and, and the child of the promise is supposed to come, come through, through them. And God comes to Abraham one night, and he takes him outside of his tent, and Abraham says, I, we, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have a son. This is supposed to happen through my son. It hasn't happened. And God takes him outside of his tent, desert night, no... No streetlights around to block, the, to block the view of the stars. It's just pitch dark except for just the brilliance of this nighttime sky. The sky is just filled with stars. And God says to Abraham, count them. <laughs> Number them if you can. This is, this is, this is what your descendants are, are, going to, are going to be like. Sometimes in life we, we, we come to situations in our lives that, that really seem impossible. We, we can't figure out how this, whatever it is, is possibly going to work out. It, it seems just, just utterly impossible, and maybe from a human point of view, it, it is. And it, it can really cripple us with discouragement. And maybe you're there this morning. But listen, if that's the case, the living God, for whom nothing is impossible, comes to you as his child and he says, number the stars. Because your future is just as bright as my promises. Look at what uh, happens in verse 6. Very important. It says that Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now this verse is quoted at four crucial junctures in the New Testament. And it's so important because basically it's telling us how a person gets right with God. That's a relevant question because every single one of us is going to stand before God one day. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. 
I mean, every single person in this room has something in common today. We are all going to stand before a holy God one day. And listen, if you've trusted in the Savior and His finished work, the verdict in that judgment has already been rendered. And you've been pronounced not guilty, but righteous. Not based on your own righteousness, but based on the perfect righteousness of Jesus that was credited to your account when you trusted in the Savior. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of His substitution for us, His sacrifice for us. Which is what we see in the, the third part of Abraham's life. Substitution and sacrifice. So what happens? Abraham and Sarah do conceive and they have a baby and they name him Isaac, which means laughter, appropriately, because Isaac brought so much joy to Abraham and, and Sarah that they, they named him laughter. But then one day, when Isaac was in his late teens, God came to Abraham and he asked him to do something that seemed at the time utterly incomprehensible. Genesis 22 tells us about it. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now this seemed to make no sense for a couple of reasons. First of all, God deplored child sacrifice. That was something that was practiced by the, the, the pagans in the land when Abraham first went into the promised land. The Canaanites were were sacrificing their children to their idols and things like that. It was just horrible, and, and God, uh, God, God hated it. He, he, he banned it. He judged those who, who did it. It was just abhorrent to, to God, the whole concept of, of, of child sacrifice. It made no sense on that level, but more than that, who's he asking Abraham to sacrifice? Isaac! Isaac is the child of the promise! All of these promises are going to come true through the descendants of Abraham, through Isaac. Isaac was the child of the promise. And so the fulfillment of these promises depended on Isaac getting married and, and having children himself, none of which has happened at this point. So it just seems to make no sense. Abraham obviously was reeling. He was, he was crushed. But Abraham had walked with God long enough that he knew God could be trusted. Even if he couldn't understand what God was asking him to do, he knew that God could be trusted. We don't always understand everything that God asks us to do. But know this, God can be trusted. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Abraham knows that God can be trusted and he knows that, that some way, somehow, God is going to come through in this situation. We see Abraham's faith in verses 3 through 5. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him 
and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now what's remarkable here is the tense. Abraham is saying to these servants, stay over here. Isaac and I are going to go over to this mountain and then we're going to come back to you. We are going over and we are coming back. How can he say that? Because Isaac's supposed to be dead at that point. No, no. Abraham says, we're going to go over and we are going to come back. How can he say this? Well, Hebrews 11 explains it. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, And he said, here I am, my son. In the Hebrew, this just captures the love and the tenderness between father and child. My father, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb. What does this point to? points to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's all pointing to the Savior. Verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. We're going to talk about Isaac next week, but this shows the faith of, of Isaac. He was in his late teens at this point. He could have physically overpowered his father. But he, he consents. He, he trusts God as well. Verses 10 and following. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Instead of Isaac, a ram. Instead of us, Jesus. 
verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. What mount? Where did this happen? This happened on the mount that was going to one day be the city of Jerusalem. Where one day, the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice that every sacrifice in the Old Testament points to, the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who truly does take away the sin of the world, it was going to happen. It was going to happen on this mountain, in this very place. Jesus was going to take our place on the cross. Jesus was going to take the judgment that we deserved and rise from the dead so that all who trust in Him can have eternal life. It's all seen right here. And it's also seen in the supper that we're about to partake in. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts to do that. And so, Father, we thank You so much for the Gospel. We thank You for Your amazing grace, Your your love and mercy, um, that you became a human being and you came to, to rescue us. The journey of Abraham really points to the ultimate journey that you made from heaven to earth, which we, we celebrated at Christmas, um, that you became a human being to, to redeem us, to take the death, to take the judgment uh, that we deserve, to take all of... All of uh, the evil of the world upon yourself and pay the price so that all who trust in the Savior can have forgiveness, life, new life, eternal life. And Father, we we, we see that so centrally in the, the Lord's Supper. We pray that you would use it this morning to to draw us closer to you. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people.
I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer and find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.